everybody. Welcome to Grow Up, where we're healing the child within us while lovingly and respectfully raising the child that's in front of us. Are you ready? It's time to grow up. Welcome to episode 17, everybody. I am your host, Amy, and I'm happy to have you back. 17 is a, I guess, kind of a lucky number for me or just like a little golden number. My birthday is on the 17th of the month, and so is my son's. So, after we both became 17ers, um, I kind of found a preference for the number. So I guess that just means that this episode is going to be amazing. <laughs> no, just kidding. But um, I just wanted to say last week, well, I guess two weeks ago, last week was a little mini episode with Kelty from Upbringing, but on episode 15, we had a whole ass <laughs> episode, an hour and 30 minutes of it of my birth story and birth trauma and, you know, my story of entering into motherhood and all the stuff that went along with that, my pregnancy, etc. And this is going to be kind of like the second part of that episode. Hopefully not as long, but no guarantees with me. So uh, buckle up. And if you haven't listened to episode 15, then I recommend maybe checking that one out. Um, not that you need to before listening to this one, but it might be a nice little insight into all of that, all of what went on, you know, pre this conversation. Also, um, I think it was episode three, way back when now, um, I talked a little bit about just trauma in general and the trauma that I endured, uh, when I was 15 ish, 14, 15, um, when my older brother was sick and subsequently died from a virus. So if you have not listened to that and you want to have a better understanding of the ins and outs of my kind of compound trauma, then I also recommend giving that one a little listen as well. I think that one is also pretty heavy and also pretty long. So just kind of throwing those out there in case you want some reference. Um, also, side note, as those of you that follow me on the internet already may know, I am just on the tail end of recovering from COVID. So that happened. Um, I have to say that being vaxxed and boosted definitely gave me more of a mild case. I was certainly very surprised when I actually did test positive um, because my symptoms were so, so, so mild. Um, when I even took a test and I only did it because I thought it was a little suspicious that I had kind of like a weird, um, like rawness, I guess I'll say to my throat overnight and woke up with it. And although I'm no stranger to sore throats and allergy symptoms, because I do have pretty, uh, nasty allergies, I was very surprised at, um, yeah, that it was COVID and that I felt as good as I felt, um, so yeah, that was a major surprise. And then I ended up being quarantined into my bedroom at my home with my partner and my son. Um, I was alone in my bedroom for 10 days because they never tested positive, which is a good thing. But also it was really lonely. <laughs> um, I had tons of time to chat on Instagram with those of you that reached out and um, I've been talking a lot about the right from the start baby course that upbringing um, is offering. She partnered with Jen from Your Parenting Mojo at Your Parenting Mojo on Instagram and the women from upbringing.co on Instagram and they came up with this amazing right from the start baby course which is just a really great resource for um, pregnant moms pregnant parents, you know, pregnant friends of yours. If you want to give a gift um, for those of you that have already been down this road and maybe you're not having any more children, but you know what you went through. Um, anyone who has a young baby anywhere from, you know, one month old to 18 months old or um, yeah, anyone who's kind of in it and you want to share it with caregivers, you'll have the access to it. You can share all the info with your partner, your grand, you know, the grandparents or your nanny. Um, it's just kind of a really great community and a really great course that offers, you know, science backed, you know, advice and community and troubleshooting and all that kind of stuff. So we've been talking a lot about that and we've just been kind of talking a lot about baby stuff in those early 
years of, you know, in the throes of motherhood or parenthood for those of you who are out there who aren't moms, moms and dads alike. So it's just been a lot. And yeah, we've been kind of diving in deep. So after the last episode, it was really amazing because so many people reached out and I had all the time to kind of respond to you because I was just chilling in quarantine. So um, it was very difficult not to be around my son and my husband, um, especially having to hear him solo parent our wild child for 10 days. That was pretty difficult just because I felt pretty guilty about it. Um, but, you know, I was also endlessly thankful for him and their amazing bond and relationship. And we would draw each other little notes and slip them under the door to each other. And it was pretty cute. So it totally sucked. And 10 out of 10 would not recommend it to anybody. But I am healthy and I am here. And I kind of face my biggest fear. <laughs> um, again, back to that episode three, if you want more insight into that and why COVID was so scary to me, then I definitely would check that out. Um, but yeah, I kind of faced that and I'm on the other side now. So if you hear any raspy, extra raspiness to my voice, you know why. But that's been the last kind of two week situation. But tons and tons of you reached out after the last episode um, about my personal birth story and could relate and were offering solidarity and comfort and wanted to vent about your own stories. I had several of you say that, you know, you didn't intend to listen to the whole thing through and then you couldn't turn it off because it just felt like so cathartic to listen to. And that's just one of the best compliments I could receive, to be honest. That's kind of why I'm here on this platform is just to be honest and tell the truth about my own story and air it out and invite everybody else into that healing and hopefully hearing me kind of put words to some of the feelings that you felt in your life gave you some clarity or gave you an opportunity to air it out and invite some healing into your own life. So I hope that that's what's going on for you. If anybody, you know, you want to share your full story, you want to just chat about it, you know, any of that stuff. I'm always available to you. Please, please, please reach out. Um, even though I'm not in quarantine anymore, I swear I love hearing from you and I will always make the time to chat because it is what brings my soul some comfort and joy just to know that even if I'm helping one person out there um, feel seen and heard, then I feel like that's what my soul is on this earth to do. So I'm here for you. Um, my Instagram is at grow.up.ig and you can always email me at thegrowuppod at gmail.com. And if you enjoy this podcast, I would certainly love for you to spread the word to your friends and your family and even to like and subscribe or leave a comment um, just so we can get the word out to other people. And that kind of feedback definitely helps, um, you know, kind of share the podcast with everybody and help us get noticed. And I would really super appreciate it. So thank you for being here. Thank you for your energy. Thank you for reaching out and sharing your stories and all of your support always. It really means the world to me. And it definitely warmed my heart while I was away from my family over the last, you know, two weeks, 10 days ish. And um, yeah, just endless thanks to all of you out there. So I want to dive back in kind of as like a to be continued from last time. And I was going to just kind of start off and just kind of pick up where I left off. But I received a very long in the best way, and very um, relatable to my own story, email from a listener and um, friend on Instagram, Emily. And we have actually become super good friends. She's somebody that now that we've kind of communicated back and forth several times about things on the podcast and hearing her story in its full detail through this email, um, we've been able to really connect. And it's like one of those people that the second you start talking to them, you feel like it's like your long lost friend. And yeah, that's Emily. So I'm going to share with you her story that she decided to share with the show and I'm going to kind of pause here and there and just kind of touch on a few things. So, um, yeah, here's the email from Emily. And quick trigger warning for all of you out there. This will talk a little bit about 
issues during pregnancy with fetal abnormalities and medical complexities of the fetus and also medical trauma and a car accident. So if that's something that you are not ready to hear, I suggest skipping this episode and I'll catch you on the next one. She writes, My decision to be one and done stems from so many different factors, starting even before our son, Henry, now almost two, was even born. If we start from the very beginning, I met my husband in high school. We started dating in college, and we've been together for almost 17 years. Hey, weird. I just noticed that, Emily, that... Wow, that's so funny. I didn't plan on that. This is episode 17. I was just talking about my golden number 17, and you've been together 17 years. So look at that. Congrats on that. That is a long-ass time. He is and will always be my best friend. He comes from a large family, and they all remain very close, even after the divorce of his parents. I have always been a bit jealous of their close sibling bond, and I wanted to be able to provide that for for our future kids. Being an only child myself, I always assumed I would have at least two kids. I had a strained and rocky relationship with my mother, mostly due to her struggles with an opiate addiction and eating disorder during my teen years, and our relationship never fully recovered. She herself had a very traumatic childhood, as well as her mother, my grandmother, and as I get older, I realize that generational trauma played a role in how she lived her life and subsequently mothered me. Absolutely. I know that probably a lot of people out there can relate to that. I myself can relate to that with my grandmother and the way she parented my mother. Um, And I hear you. And if nothing else, I think it just sheds light onto how important it is that we all do our healing and run this healing journey together. That, you know, maybe we've been through some serious things in our lives, but we have the ability now to take control, to do our healing and to do better by our children and raise them. And it's never too late to start. And I just think um, kudos to you for sitting with that, Emily, and realizing that. I always wondered what my life would have been like if I had a sibling to go through those hard years with. Other times, I think it was ultimately a blessing in disguise that I'm the only one who had to endure that because maybe my hypothetical sibling might not have fared as well as me. Thankfully, my dad was a constant source of, quote, normal and structure in my life, even though my mom and dad's multiple divorces from each other and some stepdad sprinkled in between. I am forever grateful for his love and presence in my life. Fast forward to our decision to start a family. Conception was the easiest part of our parenting journey. We got pregnant our very first month of trying. I felt so lucky because I know others have much harder time or can't ever conceive. We chose to have genetic testing done and thankfully those results came back normal and we found out that at 10 weeks that we were having a boy. Gosh, I was so happy. I really, really wanted a boy. I barely had any morning sickness and up until about a month five of pregnancy, things were going smoothly. I can totally relate to that. I also was very excited when I found out we were having a boy, even though, you know, I'm pro-inclusivity and I know boys and girls and their gender don't really, you know, that's not set in stone. But I kind of, when I had pictured my life growing up, I kind of always saw myself with boys. I don't know why. And um, it was kind of just fed into that fantasy that I had as well that, you know, we got pregnant pretty easily and I kind of had an easy go at the beginning of pregnancy and I was excited we're having a boy. And it's funny because up until my story with my son personally, I kind of felt, you know, like it was feeding right into this fantasy that I'd always had in my head that I had created for myself. And it sounds like, Emily, you were going through the same thing, that it was just kind of like smooth sailing and you know, everything just looks so blissful. And I think it's so great to have, you know, goals and aspirations and dreams and and visualize things. And it's also really, really hard in any capacity, whether it's motherhood, parenthood, you know, anything, jobs, relationships, when that fantasy kind of like, you know, your little bubble gets popped, right? Like, it's like, well, just kidding, you know, it doesn't look like that. And I think it makes it almost twice as hard to cope sometimes, right? Because not only are we faced with a reality that can be difficult, but we're also faced with, 
you know, breaking that perfect image of what we thought, quote unquote, things were going to be like. So I totally, you know, can can resonate with that. And I'm sure other listeners can as well. If you have something that, you know, threw, for, threw you for a loop, you know, it, before then, it was just like blissful in your brain. And we kind of all never think it's going to happen to us, right? And then all of a sudden, things come crashing down. So Emily continues, however, my happy little love bubble of pregnancy popped and popped hard at our 20-week anatomy scan. I am tearing up as I write this because I can remember it like it was yesterday. I was laying in the exam room and the tech was taking all sorts of pictures and pointing things out. It was such a happy moment and I remember giggling with my husband and smiling a lot. I felt like we were there for a while, but I didn't think anything of it and I didn't notice anything off with the expression on the technician's face. After the scans, we were sent into the waiting area and we were given some ultrasound printouts of Henry. I remember sitting in the waiting room and at that moment, my husband took a photo of me smiling and staring at the gritty black and white photos. We were finally called back into a patient room to speak with the doctor and go over the scan results. And as soon as he walked into the room, I could immediately tell something was wrong. He sat down and with a somber face proceeded to tell us that Henry was missing one of his kidneys. I felt like I was outside of my body and my ears started ringing. I honestly don't remember much after that point until we made it out to the car and I completely broke down and started sobbing. The day of our anatomy scan, my husband and his brother, whose birthday happened to be that same day, were planning to leave right after my ultrasound to travel to a medical conference out of state. So when I arrived home after hearing the worst news of my life, I had to look at my brother-in-law in the face and not break down crying right in front of him. My husband asked me 100 times if I wanted him to cancel the trip and stay home, but I told him to go ahead. I became very reclusive and retreat when I'm upset, so I'm not surprised that I ended up encouraging him to just go ahead and go on that trip and leave me to be by myself. In retrospect, I think it was the right decision because seeing my husband upset too would have just made it twice as hard. That date feels like a death anniversary of sorts. It still stings any time I see or hear other parents happily sharing their anatomy scan results. It also stings to wish my brother-in-law a happy birthday because that day was anything but happy for me. To this day, I haven't looked at the picture my husband took of me because all these feelings come rushing back and looking at that pre-earth shattering version of myself almost makes me feel stupid, if that makes any sense. My internal voice says, look at you, so happy and blissfully unaware that your world is about to turn upside down in five minutes. You should have known better. That's what you get for being happy. I should be kinder to myself, I know. If I ever got pregnant again, I know I would have some severe anxiety leading up to the anatomy scan. I don't think I can shake the fear that I couldn't create a, quote, healthy child. I'm going to pause there for a minute. Whew, reading this, Emily, is, is really um, starting to choke me up because I'll actually relate this back to um, my brother when my brother was sick and, and died. And I kind of joke, and I don't know if any of you out there have a religious background, but in Catholicism, they talk about B.C. and A.D., right? Before Christ and after death. And that means after death of Christ. And as much as I have said a million times on this show, I'm not religious, but because of my upbringing, I like flash back to that feeling of like before Christ and after death. And I feel like there's things in our lives, my brother's illness and death, and not only that, but not only his illness, but the day that I saw him for the first time in the ICU, hooked up to machines with bandages on his head and after his, um, you know, his skull surgery and I feel that same way about you know pre our genetic testing results and post our genetic testing results and being high risk pregnancy and I, I you know we had kind of a similar story in that way and I think there's some kind of like that feeling of being so naive <laughs> And just kind of innocent to the realities of the world or the realities of a situation, even like a pregnancy. And then that, you know, big healthy dose of reality 
and what the other side of that looks like. And I can totally relate to that. And even just thinking about that moment really chokes me up. And I think anyone who's lost someone close to them, especially like a parent or a sibling or a child, I think there's like these life defining moments. Um, If you've been through a traumatic event in your life. And again, I know I talked about it last time on the podcast, but trauma isn't just one singular thing. I mean, of course it can be. Of course you can have big T trauma, you know, like a rape or something like that. But also trauma can be the way something smaller touches the wounds of traumas that you've gathered throughout your life or something that was, you know, like a compound trauma or they call it like a small T trauma where it's like the way it's all kind of added up and it's the way all the chips have fallen and the way that they've affected you as a, as a total and as a whole. And I think a lot of these little small, you know, instances, especially like with with our pregnancies and the way that everything kind of adds up and then you're high risk and then the hypervigilance you start to feel because you are, you know, catapulted into this mama bear protection over a baby that, you know, that you're creating inside of your body that you, you feel so helpless in doing so. Right. And you feel like you're quote doing it wrong because something's wrong, quote unquote, with your child. And I know for me, I always thought about You know, everyone talks about like, oh, just get pregnant and like just have a baby or like, you know, I know, for instance, like my sister is relatively newly wed in the last few years. And a lot of people are like, oh, is she going to have babies? And and there's just like this understood thing in our society that people act like it's like this like flip thing, like you just go do it. Like, you know, like like as simple as like walking out your front door or as simple as like going to pick up some bread at the grocery store. Like it's like, it's not that easy and it's not that simple. And there's a lot of trauma that happens in that realm with, you know, failure to conceive or failed IVF or tons of money or the adoption process and how pins and needles and traumatic that can be and miscarriage and abortion and genetic, you know, abnormalities and, you know, traumatic births and, you know, the mother, all of the, the, things that the mother's body goes through and the trauma that can be that can they can endure through the the pregnancy or through the birthing process and then then all of a sudden you have this baby and we're all expected to like magically bounce back and magically take on this role as if you know we're just seamlessly skating right into it and it's just simply not true I put out a poll on the grow up podcast or I'm sorry the grow up Instagram um, during my COVID quarantine. And I had the biggest response I've ever had since launching this platform. And it was all about pregnancy and, you know, birth and the early days and the early years and things that you wish that you knew and ways that you wish you were better supported. And it was just, I got flooded with results, hundreds upon hundreds of results. And they weren't even my own. A couple of them were because I wanted to play along. So I shared a couple of my own, but it wasn't like I was at home, you know, posting a hundred things to my story. It was all of you out there. And it just shows you that it's not so simple. And there's a huge unspoken burden and unspoken trauma that can happen. And this is not to make people feel scared. This is not, if you're pregnant out there, you're going, oh my gosh, this is going to happen to me. No, it very well might not. But I, again, back to the reason of this platform is to just share authentically our stories, air it out, learn from each other, grow together, heal, put it out there and share. And I just think in seeing those results, it was so interesting because I feel so alone so often and so misunderstood. And then to see a hundred other responses echoing the exact same sentiment, it was like, wow, wow we're not alone. We just don't talk about it. We're not given that voice. Everybody only wants to hear the good stuff. They want to hear about the good sleeper and the good baby and, oh, she's so cute. And what did you name her? And blah, blah, blah. And no one's, you know, coming around and checking in and, and 
and being real and being empathetic and wanting to hear the nitty gritty. And I think that there's a space for that too. And I'm just like you, Emily, feeling like this, you know, I hate it, but that inner negativity, that inner voice that's just caring so much and saying, you know, like you said, look at you so happy and blissfully unaware that your world is about to turn upside down in five minutes. You should have known better. And that's what you get for being happy. Oh, and I don't think there's anyone out there that can't relate to that. Right. Feeling like the other shoe's going to drop at any moment and just feeling like I didn't even know this was an option. And how could I have been so stupid? And you're not stupid. We've all been force-fed this this narrative that it's just rainbows and butterflies. And if it's not, then people don't talk about it. And I just am calling bullshit. I'm calling bullshit on that. And I think we all should call bullshit on that. And that doesn't mean walk around and scare every single person you meet into being pregnant and having children. Because that's not true. But it just means being real. And in being real, maybe we can all lean on each other and spread some reality. And and in spreading your reality, what you've done is you've opened the door for anybody else with that story to say me too, right? I think like Emily even writing me this email, it's just so honest and so raw. And the reason she wanted to share it is because she heard my story. And she was touched and she thought, wait a minute, I can add to this too. And who's going to be the next person to write in and say, you know what, let me share mine too. And there's something so cathartic about that. And I just hope that this is speaking to you, please, by all means, air it out. Let's go. Let's put it out there. All right, continuing on. As a result of Henry's kidney diagnosis, I was put under the care of a maternal fetal medicine specialist and labeled a, quote, high-risk pregnancy. This meant that I had to have a regular ultrasound to track Henry's growth and to keep looking for his other kidney. Apparently, they can be missed on ultrasound sometimes, and this was torturous for me because I kept holding out hope that the missing kidney would magically appear, but it never did. Pause again. I can totally relate to this with waiting for the green light after, you know, taking pause once we were told that Vaughn had skeletal abnormalities. It sends you into this hypervigilant tailspin. I mean, I'm not kidding you when I said this ultrasound. I mean, I had like the longest ultrasounds ever where like they would spend five minutes, no joke, on examining the joints of his hip socket. <laughs> like, and then it makes you obsessed with it. It makes you obsessed with, oh my gosh, is it a little bit round? It looks a little bit round. It should be square. It should be 90 degrees. Does that look 90 degrees to you? You know, oh, well, maybe the tech is wrong, but I don't know. This is supposed to be the best tech. And, you know, it's like, oh my God. And I know nothing about medicine. And then you go home and you're like, are, I'm Dr. Google, right? And we're all like looking desperately for anybody else with the same story that had a positive outcome or the, you know, the desired outcome. And it just breaks, I, my heart breaks for you because having to sit there and holding out that hope of like, oh, well, sometimes we can miss one. And then you every single ultrasound going in with a shred of hope that just gets annihilated every single time over and over and over again. And ugh, you know, it's just torture. And it just sends you into this state of vigilance and anxiety of like, you know, examining every little movement, every little blood work, every little, you know, angle and kick and movement. It's just too much. It's just so much. She continues, enter COVID. From this point on, all my doctor's visits were alone and my husband was only allowed to FaceTime me. So now you're going through this alone. Wow. You're going through this trauma by yourself. Days before COVID was officially declared a pandemic, my husband was hit by a drunk driver on his way home from work in his brand new SUV that he just purchased a few months earlier in preparation for Henry's arrival. By the grace of God, or whoever is up there, he was okay. But his car was totaled and the young girl who hit him in her little VW bug, also uninjured, was taken to jail on the spot. He was on the phone with me at the time when it happened, and I'll never forget hanging up and driving to find him in the snow while I was five months pregnant. Pause. 
what the fuck? I just, I, that is a, that is a lot. I, like I mentioned in my story last time, we were T-boned. I, the kid wasn't drunk, but who knows, maybe he was. He seemed very out of it. <laughs> um, just flying down our, we got T-boned. Okay, ready? We got T-boned on my side. I was pregnant. We were driving home from our little baby moon that we took um, up north. So in Michigan, you say up north when you go like camping or out in the wilderness. We were up, you know, we were by some beaches and stuff up in upper Michigan. And we were driving home and we were literally, this is no joke, we were turning into our driveway. And I don't know if the kid was like texting and looked up, but we were turning right into my into our driveway and this kid didn't stop and came up the side of us by the curb and t-boned my side and I was literally in my third trimester and I couldn't get out of the car for a long time because I was ready to jump out and literally grab this kid by the throat and freak the freak out (laughs) oh my god I shouldn't laugh but I just like the idea of being on the phone with your husband and the trauma of hearing him getting into an accident and then driving in the snow to try to find him and you're so pregnant I just can't okay continuing around the same time my blood pressure also started to rise same I've struggled with blood pressure issues most of my adult life which I always had chalked up to quote white coat syndrome for those that don't know what that is your blood pressure is falsely elevated due to anxiety but returns to normal after you leave the doctor Because of my pre-existing, quote, white coat syndrome, my doctors had a very hard time determining whether I was developing symptoms of preeclampsia or having severe white coat symptoms. I had anxiety over my anxiety over my blood pressure. It was exhausting, to say the least. I was eventually diagnosed with preeclampsia, and from that point forward, I was at my OB's office multiple times a week for nsts blood draws and submitting my home blood pressure log which i'd still like to have a ceremonial burning of (laughs) i'm only laughing because same literally exact same this is like i I mean i could have written this she continues i was admitted to the labor slash delivery emergency room twice for my blood pressure but sent home both times after a few hours same (laughs) Then at the end of May 2020, I was admitted again for very high blood pressure and was told that I could possibly be having a baby in the next day or two, which at this point was about a month prior to my due date. I had to call my parents that time and ask them to make a last-minute trip from out of state to stay with our elderly dog who just had a cancer removal surgery the day prior and couldn't walk. Once I arrived at the hospital, thankfully my husband was able to join me. I was given a steroid shot for Henry's lung development and was hooked up to a 24-hour blood pressure monitor, which woke me up constantly with the beeping and the warning bells. I ended up being sent back home after one night once my blood pressure returned to normal and my lab results came back. However, At my next follow-up appointment, two days after I was discharged, my blood pressure was back up again to 210 over 110, and I was immediately readmitted to the hospital and told I would be induced at 36 weeks and three days. At that moment, I felt like such a failure that I couldn't stay, quote, healthy enough to keep him in longer, and I almost felt like I had disappointed my doctor for not keeping my blood pressure under control like I had a choice. Ugh. Heart breaks for you. No one ever told me this, but I'm convinced I was already in labor before I even got hooked up to all the induction drugs because I started having severely painful contractions before the drugs had a chance to kick in. I truly think my body knew we were both in danger and wanted this baby out. I dilated very quickly overnight and was told the next morning it was time to start pushing. I ended up actively pushing for four hours, which was the max time allowed, and by actively pushing, I mean pushing the hardest I could possibly push the entire time. Wow. It was the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. I told my therapist during during an EMDR session that I felt like a caged animal and I wanted to beg someone for a C-section because I couldn't physically do it anymore. I was put on the magnesium prior to labor starting to prevent seizures from preeclampsia, and it made me feel terrible. I was so out of it. 
I was also unaware at the time that my own husband, who happens to be a physician himself and has delivered many babies, told me many months later that he was growing very concerned during my laboring because he could see all the monitors and my blood pressure was consistently remaining over 200 and my heart rate was 215, more than double the normal rate. Pause. So I also had blood pressure issues and I still have blood pressure issues and I have tachycardia, which is fast heart rate and blah, 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 blah. So I am hypervigilant about my heart, which all started because of pregnancy. Um, and I'm very familiar with what normal ranges are and what also normal high ranges are because that's where I usually hover. 215, everyone out there, your resting heart rate should be 60 to 100. Like if you, which mine normally is like 90 to like 120, which is fast. But the point is, your resting heart rate maxed out should be 100. Her regular heart rate for hours was 215. I just need to like feel like I need to reiterate that because this is, I mean, obviously there's other people out there, I'm sure, with similar stories or, you know, but this is just blowing my mind. I mean, it's getting hit on every single cylinder. Like what more can one person take? I just... Holy moly. Okay, Emily. She continues. The doctor was finally able to pull Henry out with a vacuum. And when they pull him, put him on my chest, I cried. Not because I was meeting my newborn son for the first time, but because I was so glad labor was over. I was too weak to hold him, even in a wheelchair. When we were transferred down to the mom-baby recovery floor, I was the weakest I'd ever felt in my life. Our stay in the hospital after birth wasn't an easy one. I jokingly referred to it as Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events. Henry was first able to come with me to the recovery floor and have his newborn exam there. When the doctor was done examining Henry, he walked over to me and said, Can I see your hands? And I was like, What? Why? It turns out that Henry has a single palmar crease, commonly seen in people with Down syndrome. And he wanted to compare mine to Henry's to possibly explain that. Neither my husband nor I have this Palmer feature. Being the anxious person that I am, I immediately started freaking out that there was some underlying genetic issue that I just hadn't been identified yet. I've later learned that many perfectly healthy people have a single Palmer crease and have zero genetic abnormalities. Pause! Back to the beef that I have with these genetic things. Yes, there are there is a time and a place for them. But the bedside manner sometimes, for all of you out there, if you relate, reach out. Because same thing, when they flagged us for genetic stuff, it was like they made us so scared. It was like, I can just relate to this. Because it's like they walk over and it's like, oh my gosh. And you're like, wait, what? And it's like, it's like this total like panic. And I get that they have to give you all the ins and outs. And I get that they probably have to give you all the bad news just in case. But like, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be some kind of middle ground. Because it's like, I just feel for all the people that are being robbed of like the joy. And like, I mean, you just have a newborn baby and now you're freaking out. I was like pregnant and trying to enjoy my pregnancy and connect with my baby. And I was freaking out. Like, it's just... Ugh, I just, I feel that so deeply. Okay, where was I? Okay, Henry then failed his blood sugar test and was taken away to stay in the NICU overnight. Henry's day and a half in the NICU was such a blur that I only remember bits and pieces through texts and pictures from my husband when he got to go and visit him. My husband and a NICU nurse gave Henry his first bath. I can't put my finger on why, but I was almost relieved that I wasn't ever able to go visit him while he was there. Maybe my brain knew I couldn't handle it. Then he had high billy room and needed phototherapy for jaundice. People are so casual about these therapy lights, but it was so torturous as a mother to have to put tiny little foam eye covers on a crying two-day-old infant and keep him in a bassinet under the lights when they just want to be held. He failed his car seat test twice, and finally passed a third time, but needed special instructions on how to position him in the car seat on the way home. I was terrified for him to be in the car seat for any length of time for the first couple of months for fear that he wasn't getting enough oxygen. 
Our entire stay, it seemed like he was getting poked and prodded what felt like every five minutes to check for all sorts of things. The nurses would take him away from me for the blood draws so I didn't have to hear him cry. On top of that, I was still recovering. My blood pressure was still high. I had a fever, was too weak to walk for two days, and had magnesium toxicity. Basically, my dose was too strong. It took two nurses and a special standing wheelchair to get me to the bathroom for the first time after delivery. I turned white and almost fell off the toilet. I had a terrible reaction to the magnesium, which I had to be on for 24 hours after birth, and very painful hemorrhoids from all the intense pushing. The cherry on top was when the in-room phone rang the day after birth, I was still basically drunk on the magnesium, and it was the hospital asking me for my credit card in case I wanted to go ahead and pay my bill and get an early pay discount. On day four, we were finally discharged from there and got to go home. I've never been happier to leave a place in my entire life. One ray of sunshine in this whole hospital experience was my incredible labor and delivery nurse. She was one of the kindest souls I've ever met. I wanted to bring her home from the hospital with me. I asked for a picture of her and Henry before we left, and my husband swears she teared up a little when I asked. Pause. First of all, thank God for nurses. Because I remember one of the amazing NICU nurses that we had with Vaughn and... I think her name was Marjorie. I'm pretty sure it was Marjorie. It was something like that. And she was a redhead in a spitfire, and I just already was like, ooh, I like her. And she was the one that was, like, really pushing for us to get my son out of the NICU. And she was also the one that was like, oh, I'm getting choked up talking about it. She was the one that was, like, encouraging me to trust my mother instincts with him. And gave me a dose of confidence to try things and do things. And was like, she almost felt, this is I think why it's going to be choked up. Um, my grandmother I was really close with and she died roughly nine months after my brother. And Marjorie felt like my grandma to me. And it was really comforting when I was going through such a traumatic time. And I'm just so touched for Emily because you were going through so much, and to have that nurse there, someone that you felt like you could trust, especially when I know you said earlier in the email that your own mother wasn't super maternal to you, or you had been through your, your issues, and I'm just so sorry this had happened to you, but I'm so happy that you found some comfort with one of those nurses, because um, it sounds like you could really use it, and the audacity of the hospital to call and ask you that. I just, I like practically had to pick my job to keep reading that email. Um, uh, the blood pressure recovering for days. I mean, I was back at my doctor the next week after I had him because of my blood pressure. We were at literally at the pediatrician every single day with my son once we brought him home, starting the next morning after we brought him home, we had to take him out every single day because of his Billy Rubens and his jaundice. And we had the worst pediatrician and the office was so terrible. And they were like making jokes about it as if it was like funny, apparently that he was so yellow. Um, I remember, I will never forget the nurse. And she said something about calling my son a glow worm. So there was that, which was, I, she like made fun of his name. Um, there was so much. Um, and that was after everything we'd been through and just trying to figure out, like you said, the thing with the jaundice and I know so many people go through jaundice, but it doesn't make it less scary. <laughs> okay. Because you just had a baby and you don't know what the fuck people are talking about. And they're like, Oh, Billy Rubens and jaundice and what the hell? And I personally, he didn't stay for the lights. Um, but I kind of wish he would have because we had such an ordeal after trying to get him. We had to keep going back and forth and we ended up back at the hospital labs for more blood work. And that was a whole thing. And he was like held down screaming when he was like a week old and I had to watch it and it was horrible. And they were trying to poke his heel for more blood and he had scabs all over his little newborn feet because of all the pokes and the IVs and the, everything from the NICU. 
and I warned the nurse about it and she basically blew me off and then exactly what I said happened happened and it was just so re-traumatizing to me and I got out of there and said I would never ever go back with him um so I almost wish he did the lights but I actually had the opportunity to be there with my cousin when her daughter had to do the lights in the um in the hospital and her and her husband had to leave for some testing and I actually happened to be there. And so I stayed in the room with her and I had to like put those little mini goggles on the tiniest, softest little head of a newborn. And same thing, like the baby's crying because they want to be held and you can't pick them up. And then you're like, feel like you're literally crushing their skull with like the strap of these goggles. And you like, don't really know how to hold the baby's head and you feel like their head's like rolling around. It was just like, I, I mean, like again, any little bits of the story are hard and could be traumatic. And then you had it all, you know, I mean, the toxicity from your medicine. I just, I can't even, I just can't imagine everything that you've gone through. I can only imagine. It's just, it's just so much. So Emily continues. I was fortunate enough to have my husband home with me the first month of my maternity leave. I continued to struggle with my blood pressure and took blood pressure meds for about a month. Same. Henry was forced to endure a painful procedure at two weeks old related to his solitary kidney. An imaging test where Henry had to be strapped down and have dye inserted through a catheter to check his urinary system function. Oh my god. We had to travel 2.5 hours very early in the morning to make that appointment. It was very stressful. And side note, Emily, I hear you on the car seat. I, that was such a source of stress for me with the breathing and seeing their little neck all bent. And I just, I, two and a half hours, like I, whew. I couldn't bring myself to go back there with Henry and watch him endure that. And I made my husband go in my place. It was torture for me. And I know it was for Henry and my husband as well. I was terrified I would hear him crying from the waiting room. But thankfully, I didn't. As a result of this test, it was confirmed that Henry had severe, oh, I might get this wrong, vesicoroteral? Sure. Reflux. Urine flushes back up into the kidneys, which put him at increased risk for UTIs and kidney infections. And with a solitary kidney, he was even higher risk for complications. I also had the same kind of reflux when I was a child, which I ended up needing corrective surgery for when I was eight years old. Part of me blames myself for my genetics, which probably passed this on to him. Henry was put on daily antibiotics to lower the possibility for infection, and there was a possibility of him needing that same corrective surgery hanging over our heads. I still to this day am super particular about his diaper changes in the, and use way more wipes than necessary just to make sure he's clean. Thankfully, Henry has done so well. His urinary reflux miraculously resolved itself by his one-year nephrology checkup, where he had to have the same painful test performed again. The odds of surgery are now much lower, and he is now able to be off his antibiotics. I couldn't have mentally survived any of this without my husband's unwavering and amazing support. I truly would be lost without him. I can't help but think about the trauma other families have endured with medically complex kids. And I know there are stories much scarier than ours, and my heart breaks for those families. Same. In addition to, those med to the medical trauma, Henry basically cried for the first 15 months of his life. That is not an exaggeration. He was never content, needed constant entertainment, and hated being strapped down, including the high chair, stroller, and car seat. The only containment he would tolerate and seemingly enjoyed was being strapped to my body in his baby carrier. I often wonder if his medical trauma had anything to do with this. His constant fussing and terrible sleep sent me down a postpartum depression spiral, and there were many days I questioned my decision to be even become a parent and convince myself I was never meant to be a mother in the first place. It can be very isolating when other mom friends are not experiencing the same struggles as you. I also struggled to bond with him because I couldn't shake the feeling that because he wasn't perfectly, quote, healthy, I shouldn't bond with him too much. I had the toxic trait of perfectionism and felt like because he wasn't, quote, perfect, how I viewed him, I wasn't allowed to be happy about him or love him fully. That might make zero sense to others, but it 
was a huge factor in my outlook, especially those first few months. Okay, that last chunk. Um, th- that is exactly my, my experience with my son Vaughn as well. Um, and I'm not saying this to bring it back to me every single time, but I'm saying this to show solidarity and support and, and that you're not alone. And I know there's other people out there that can relate to this. The high needs child, the one that is never content, all the bouncing, all the rocking, the sound machines turned way up. Oh, but not on that setting, on this setting. It has to be this kind of sound. And, oh, you know, he likes the lights on his, you know, ceiling, but not if they're moving because then it interacts with the fan and that makes him, you know, he doesn't like that. And he only likes them when they change this color. And I mean, just, oh, he needs a pacifier, but not the blue one. He likes the green one. And, oh, he needs a teether, but he doesn't want that orange one. He wants the Elmo one. And, you know, it just is like, and and I think where I'm going with this is that having such a traumatic intro already, you already doubt yourself. You're already feeling like you just got knocked down a peg that, like, you didn't do something right, quote, unquote. You don't understand your kid. You couldn't be what they needed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We end up depending on machines and beeps and nurses and doctors and tests and watching our children, which is why I got so choked up when you're talking about that story, watching our children go through painful medical procedures that we know that they need and feeling the power get stripped completely from our hands. And then we get thrown into the ring. Like, bye, see you later. You know, everything's good. Have fun raising this child. And you're like, wait, what? And you're still reeling. You're still freshly reeling and bleeding. <laughs> Your heart is bleeding from everything you've gone through and seen and endured. And then you're thrown into the ring with a high-needs child. And you don't understand And you don't know if they're different or if you're failing or why they're different or why you're failing or what they're needing. And you feel somehow stuck in the middle between devastated for your child because clearly they're struggling and you want to understand why and you want to help. And also this feeling of, and I'm, this is not speaking for Emily, this is just how I feel, and I'm assuming she may have felt the same, feeling simultaneously like a failure, and that, whew, I'm trying to get through it without crying, but it's not going to happen, I already know that, feeling like a failure who can't seem to do it right or as good as everybody else. Or as easily as everybody else, which of course is just the voice in my head. And like you said, therefore, I shouldn't have done this. I'm not cut out for this. I shouldn't have been a mom. Would he be better off with somebody else? Whew. I knew that one was going to get me. <laughs> and it did. Wow. You know what's funny? I, don't, I think I've cried more on this podcast than I have in therapy <laughs> or even to my family. I think that's uh, um, the first time I've admitted those feelings out loud. And like you said, it's isolating. And for somebody like myself who's grown up feeling um, relatively alone and misunderstood for a large portion of my life, having the child or the parenthood journey that is, quote, other or different or not by the book played into that isolating feeling and that black sheep feeling and that nobody understands me feeling and it left me feeling more alone. And I'm with you. I have an amazing partner, which it sounds like your husband is as well. And thank God, because I really, truly don't know what I would do. This one has just hit me on every 
single cylinder. All right. Moving on. Plug nose and all. Here we go. Whew. After lots and lots of therapy and the light bulb moment when I discovered Henry is a, quote, high need spirited kid, which explains so much of his behavior to an almost creepy level of accuracy. Amen to that, Emily. I've been able to grow so much in my confidence as a mother, and in turn, my bond with Henry is now the strongest it's ever been. Henry is now almost 22 months old and has been so magical watching him grow into the amazing kid that he is. Yes. All of this to say, I am not willing to take the chance of experiencing any of the above ever again or worse. I often feel sad that our family picture didn't end up as planned. However, I do know in my gut that this is the right decision for us, and we are going to be the best damn parents and cycle breakers we can be for our son. He deserves the world, and we are trying hard every day to give that to him. <sighs> the end. Wow. I mean, I'm, I don't know. I'm like, I have all the feelings and simultaneously, like, speechless. Is that a thing? Um, who am I kidding? I'm never speechless. But, um... Yeah, I think there's just so much there. And I'm with you, um, Emily, that when I found out that Vaughn is also high needs and spirited um, and has this sensory component, then now I understand. It makes me, it, it felt incredibly validating. There's, It still comes with a whole other layer of like, is this because of his trauma? Is this because of everything he went through? Is this because of my anxiety or my stuff? You know, I don't like to make it all about me. But yeah, you know, you wonder about genetics and you wonder about, you know, oh, did I, you know, have too much TV on around him so we got used to bright lights and sound and, you know, bullshit, which I don't actually truly believe is the cause of it. But, you know, why not beat myself up for something else, right? Um... But that definitely added a level of at least um, validation that I think I was lacking. Um, in my family, there's a bunch of us cousins that have children children around the same age. And it was always really hard because it's like, you know, and, and again, a lot of my family is religious and they place a lot of value on large families and togetherness with families and things like that. And not to say that I'm being judged by any means, you know, cause I, it's not that outright, but I think growing up as that being kind of like the norm and knowing that I wanted that going into it, just like it sounds like Emily did as well. You know, she thought that she'd have more children and, um, then realizing, like you said, like you're just not willing to roll those dice again because you know for whatever reason it's just not um, in the cards for you and it's something that you know you're, you're limit. And I think there needs to be a lot of respect for that decision and, and introspection and realizing that you guys are amazing parents and that's why you've done this kind of reflection and you know your limits and you're sticking to your limits. And everybody's capacity is different. In fact, a friend of mine was just saying that, you know, they have multiple children. They have two children, but, you know, she's trying to grapple with the release of the fantasy that she thought she would have three. And she's really realizing that for whatever reason, that's not in the cards for them right now. And I think it's something that just plagues everybody. I think whether you, you know, you're a single person who has no children and everyone, you know, oh, you're going to regret it. You, you know, it's, oh, it's the best thing in life. And, or if you're somebody who, you know, has one, they tell you to have more. If you have five, they say you have too many. I mean, like, I just don't really think that there's, it's, it's not fair. And I think it makes me just feel some type of way about society and all the bullshit arbitrary rules that people seem to put on everybody and act like they know what's best for each person and it's not true. And I think if nothing else, we're setting a wonderful example for children to release that burden because fuck that. And I know for myself, I do a lot of the comparing and the judging and it's the thief of all joy. And I know that, but there's something in me, I think, because I was 
spoon-fed that idealistic fantasy of, oh, I'm going to be a mother, and it's going to be second nature, and it's going to be beautiful, and it's going to be easy, and it's going to fulfill me completely, and I'm going to have three or four, and they're all just going to be best friends. And, you know, we all want to do better by our children. We all want to give them that perfect idealistic fantasy. And sometimes once you step foot into that role, it's a huge dose of reality. And it might be different than what you thought it was going to be. And that's okay. It doesn't mean to keep pushing through and holding yourself to some kind of you know, it's like trying to put on the jeans that don't fit anymore, right? Maybe we'll just buy a new fucking pair of jeans. Like, and I don't mean that in the literal sense, even though, yes, also that, you know, fuck all the diet culture and everything else. But what I mean is is emotionally and about that vision of your life that you thought. You thought it was going to be a certain way. Well, guess what? Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. And maybe can we, like, for a second think that maybe this life, the the authentic life that we're choosing or at least releasing the pressures and the burdens of feeling like we need to be different, can we all just maybe embrace the fact that maybe that's, maybe that's the good life? Maybe that's what the fantasy should be? Meeting our children where they are whether they're neurotypical or not, whether they're medically complex or not, whether they are the easygoing potato baby, golden retriever puppy, easy sleeper, easy eater, happy-go-lucky, you know, chill little unicorn child, or they're the fire-breathing dragon who's jumping off the top of the play structure and, you know, riding his bike naked through the house listening to Sexy and I Know It by LMFAO. And maybe that's also a very specific example of my son. (laughs) But it's something I'm working on every day is to be here now, to be grateful for the lessons that only my fire-breathing dynamite stick of a child could bring to me. for the hefty dose of reality and the grounding that he's brought me for the love that he brings for the, for the giant mirror our children hold back up to us. When we look at them and we think, why are you so difficult? Why did this have to be so hard for me? Why, 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 why? Blame, 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 shame, shame, shame. When they pick up that mirror and they hold it right back up to you. And then you realize that they are what you need. They're they are reflecting back to you what you need to heal. To be the best parent for that child. And I truly, truly believe no matter who you are, no matter who your child is or what you're going through, that you are the best parent for your child. We are all perfectly imperfect together with our children. And that is something that I truly believe. And I hope that even in your hardest moments where you are replaying this this terrible movie of trauma in your head when you're getting down and you're feeling anxious or depressed and why me and you're lonely and you know all the things can we remember that it is this is you know I I remember a, a mentor of mine said things don't happen to us they happen for us And I try to think about that even in the hardest, hardest, hardest of times. And that doesn't mean I'm happy that my child struggled through, you know, and had to go to the NICU and all this. I'm not like, yes, so glad. Love that journey for you. No. What it means is that it is what it is. It happened. It's reality. This is what happened. This is the way our story unfolded. And where do we go from here? How am I going to let that define me and define my parenthood journey and define my child and our relationship? 
So I hope that you've gotten a lot out of Emily's story. I cannot tell you how much that touched me, obviously. Tears and everything else. So much of her story was my own. And it just shows that we are all more alike than we are different. I would absolutely love to hear your take. I'd love to hear your opinions, your stories, anything you'd like to offer. Please reach out on grow.up.ig. A quick reminder that if you would like to sign up for the Right From The Start baby course, it is closing this week, and I'll make sure to put more info on that this week on the account. And there's a link in my bio, and I will link it in the show notes here again. Um... Just all of these baby stories and different events being said. Nobody knows the version of themselves that they will meet when they add another baby to the family, whether it's their first or their fifth. And I think we can all attest to the different curveballs that we were thrown. And I just believe so deeply in the work that the ladies at Upbringing are doing and Jen from At Your Parenting Mojo is doing. And... This course is everything that I wish that I had. It's the community I wish that I found. It's the peace of mind and the little slice of trust that I wish I could have offered myself as a new mom. And I think it's really important that we do that for each other and we help build moms up and parents in general and caregivers. It's very important because we've all been through it. I think the poll and the questionnaire I put out on the page last week was a huge eye-opener that we have all had our fair share of stuff and that nobody is alone. So please reach out on Instagram. Shoot me an email at thegrowuppod at gmail.com. Again, I am so happy that you are here. I hope number 17 held up to its lucky number and you all got a little piece of gold out of this episode because nothing brings my heart more happiness than knowing that this may have touched somebody. So I will talk to you soon. Until then, be kind to yourself. Remind yourself that you are doing a fantastic job as a mother and as a human. Keep growing, keep healing, keep doing the work. You are amazing. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye.